Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley. Thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, last week we told you that the West had just about agreed to send Ukraine tanks and other weapons they needed. Now it looks like it's not coming as soon as expected. A high-profile conservative is being sued for sexual assault on a former staffer for none other than Herschel Walker. Donald Trump and his lawyer are ordered to pay $1 million for filing a bogus lawsuit against Hillary Clinton and others. Florida says no to an advanced placement course in black studies. And did you hear the one about Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert? Not to worry. We'll run that one by you a little bit later. First, though, those weapons Ukraine needs so badly. Just when you thought the West had agreed to supply them, Germany said not so fast. The tanks that Ukrainian President Zelensky wants in the worst way are the Leopard 2, which happened to be made in Germany, and which the German government must sign off on before they can, sent, can be sent, that is, to aid the fight against Russia, and not just from Germany, but from virtually any European countries where they are located. The Germans don't want to be the first to send a heavy-duty weapon like this, asking the U.S. to send its most powerful tank, the M1 Abrams, as well. Contrast this with the position of Poland, who must ask Germany's permission again before sending German tanks to Ukraine. Polish Foreign Minister Zbigniew Rao put it this way, and I'm quoting him here. Arming Ukraine in order to repel the Russian aggression is not some kind of decision-making exercise. Ukrainian blood is shed for real. This is the price of hesitation over leopard deliveries. We need action now. In a worst-case scenario, the situation looks like squabbling among friends, and yet it can also represent a Western assessment of whether Ukraine can in fact win this war. As I said last week, we've heard about some incredible Ukrainian victories on the battlefield. Still, there are those in Western governments who are asking what a victory by Ukraine actually looks like. President Zelensky has set a high bar, which includes, last I heard, Russia giving up all its seized territory, including Crimea. While Leopard and Abrams tanks might help the country take back some territory from Putin, it won't by itself win the war by their definition of winning. Poland and Latvia have direct skin in the game because they think if Ukraine falls, Putin may set his sights on them. And you know what? They may be right. We ought to establish that support for Ukraine in the West is both a military and political decision. The generals have made a calculation about the, the ability, that is, of Ukraine to win this war on their terms. On the other hand, politicians may have a very different set of calculations and priorities. Their priorities may center around continuing sanctions, talking tough, but not necessarily provoking Putin by sending heavy weaponry. To their credit, the British are leading the way, already having sent 14 of their own tanks. Consider, however, that there are 2,000 Leopard tanks spread throughout Europe that could, in theory, go to Ukraine. Germany stands in the way. That 
And keep in mind also that Ukrainian soldiers have to be trained in the use of any tanks that anyone in Europe sends, especially the Leopards, especially the Abrams. All this is against the backdrop of an expected new Russian offensive, making time of the essence. As U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin put it, the clock is ticking. Up next, a prominent conservative is sued for sexual assault by, guess who? Another conservative. This is The Intersection. You're listening to The Intersection of Politics and Culture with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. We know he's being referred to as John Doe. We also know he used to work for Herschel Walker's failed Senate campaign. We know further he's suing a high-level conservative leader for sexual assault. That's assault, not harassment. The unnamed plaintiff says Matt Schlapp, chair of the Conservative Political Action Coalition, assaulted him and his wife defamed him after the Daily Beast reported the lawsuit. The particulars about what happened are in dispute, but given the Republican Party's position on a number of issues regarding the LGBTU community, it certainly is embarrassing and not just to schlap. Remember that the CPAC, Conservative Political Action Coalition, are the ones that give that big conference every year. And this guy, Schlapp, is at the absolute top of the heap. Well, as expected in this situation, Schlapp pushed back hard. Here's a statement from his attorney, Charlie Spies. Quote, This anonymous complaint demonstrates the accuser's real agenda, working in concert with the Daily Beast to attack and harm the Schlapp family. The complaint is false, and the Schlapp family is suffering unbearable pain and stress due to the false allegation from an anonymous individual. End quote. The Daily Beast is thrown in there because they were the first ones that reported the lawsuit. The man known as John Doe is asking for $9.4 million. Beyond that, Matt Schlapp and his wife Mercedes have, until now, been seen as a conservative power couple. Both worked for George W. Bush, which is where they met, and both worked for Donald Trump. Schlapp has been a vigorous defender of Trump's and parroted his false claims about the 2020 election. The plaintiff's lawyer said Schlapp's actions were despicable. You decide. Would one of these episodes be whole without the mention of Donald Trump? Okay, what can I tell you? Now a million dollars may seem like a lot to people like you and me. I know it does to me. To Donald Trump, however, it's little more than chump change. It's a good thing, since he and his lawyer, Alina Haba, have been fined a combined million for filing a ridiculous lawsuit against Hillary Clinton and nearly three dozen other perceived political enemies. It's certainly not the first time he sued people, but it's one of the first times a judge has rebuked him in such a scathing manner. How scathing, you ask? The day after the Florida ruling, Trump's lawyers dropped a pending case against New York Attorney General Letitia James. Here's just a paragraph of the 46-page decision 
by U.S. District Judge Donald Middlebrooks. Quote, its inadequacy as a legal claim was evident from the start. No reasonable lawyer would have filed it. Intended for a political purpose, none of these counts of the amended complaint stated a cognizable, I should say, legal claim. End quote. This judge called Trump out for his continued abuse of the legal system. Since Alina Haba represented him in this and other questionable cases, she could face even tougher sanctions further down the road. Which brings us to another question. Why are so many lawyers willing to risk not only their own professional reputations, but the possibility of being blamed by Trump for his own recklessness? We have seen numbers of Trump lawyers that were all in with him, and suddenly they've either dropped from sight or started screaming about the fact that Trump hasn't paid them yet. Why would some of these lawyers encourage and enable Trump's conspiratorial fantasies? I wonder if Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, as two examples, have gotten their checks yet. And have they gotten to the bank? And have they turned them into cash? Into an account? Anything? Something? Because I think Donald Trump is not worth going into all of this mess on behalf of. I know that's bad grammar, but sorry. The fact of the matter is that these attorneys are enabling Trump to use the legal system as a bludgeon, use it to abuse other people. And this goes back decades, folks. This goes back to when people sued him for not paying them for building stuff in Atlantic City and other situations. Trump University, another example. What Trump does in many instances is drag people through the legal system until they can't afford to continue. And of course, he can up next, Florida says no to an AP course, that's Advanced Placement course, on African American history and the saga of Marge and Lauren. This is The Intersection. Join the conversation at Mark Riley Media on Facebook. Welcome back to the intersection. Florida has fired the latest shot in the war against woke. The state's education department has refused to recognize an advanced placement course in African American history because the course is illegal under Florida state law and quoting here significantly lacks educational value. For those of you who want to know, Florida has a law pushed by that state's governor, Ron DeSantis, that limits how teachers can talk about a number of issues, including race. Gee, is free speech dead in the Sunshine State? DeSantis and his pals in the legislature don't want children to feel bad or guilty about racist acts carried out by others. Gee, I wonder how they'll explain the trail of tears in history class in Florida schools. And that doesn't even pertain to black people, slavery, or any of the rest of it. The fact of the matter is that this is a handle, a handy, that is, political tool for Ron DeSantis. 
and many other politicians, not just in the United States, in Britain and across the world, in fact. This idea that you can make war against woke is not new. There have been people erasing certain elements of history in their own countries for generations. And Ron DeSantis and his ilk want to make sure it continues. The New York Times says it's not clear what part of the law this AP class violates. The college board, now, when I was in school, long time ago, but when I was in school, the college board was the gold standard for education, secondary education, anyway. But the college board, which runs this class, says it's not about making anyone feel guilty, nor does it push any particular point of view. There's also the question of why it appears African-Americans are in fact being singled out. Florida schools have AP classes in European history without such strictures. Now, the Florida Education Department has said to the college board, well, look, if you amend this or tweak it or change it so it meets our approval, we'll allow it to be taught in school. I don't know what precisely they want the college board to eliminate. The college board isn't a bunch of radicals. The college board isn't the Black Panther Party, for God's sake. So why are the Florida schools and the Florida Education Department, more importantly, acting as if there's some group of, well, <laughs> I wanted to say gangster rappers, but that would give gangster rappers a bad name. This is, to me, an outrage. And when it comes to European history AP classes, there is one reason for the disparity in the comparison with this in African-American AP studies that jumps out. When it comes to truth-telling about the black experience in America, there is still, after all these years, fear. Fear and the obsession with whitewashing not just the history of black people. Who wants to bet there's little or no mention of the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 in many, if not most, Florida history classes? I believe the systemic exclusion of these parts of history, by the way, parts of history that some conservatives find uncomfortable, is little more than modern day oppression. It's the protection of mythology from slavery to brutality inflicted on the indigenous to the exclusion of the Chinese, which by the way, didn't end until 1941. You think they're teaching that in the Florida schools? As red states pursue their agendas from crushing abortion to erasing history, it becomes incumbent on those who would push back to do so with both knowledge, truth, and vigor. Florida isn't the only state that will refuse to tell the truth about the nation's ugly past. What they and other states don't seem to understand is that for most, it is not about retribution, not even about anger, although some anger might be justified. What they don't realize is that the nation will become a better place for everybody when its past is exposed, discussed, and put to rest once and for all. And finally, there's Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, 
two members of Congress, outliers in my judgment, until recently, two fellow travelers. However, according to the Daily Beast, the bloom is off the rose for these two. They've been on different paths for some time now. At, e at issue, at least recently, was support for now House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Green did, Bulbert demurred. It apparently came to a head on January 3rd, the first day of the new Congress. Bobert and Green reportedly got into a screaming match in the Speaker's lobby ladies' room just off the House floor. Green confronted Bobert about taking money from McCarthy, but not voting for him. Bobert, according to the Daily Beast, ran out of the bathroom. When asked about it later, Bobert said, quote, See you later. Bye. The pair have also disagreed about aid to Ukraine with Green tweeting, there should be no more aid, with Boebert sponsoring a bill to send more money to Ukraine. Then there's Trump, and which one supports him most fervently? Now, you might ask yourself, why would anybody, anybody, be in a race to see who's most MAGA, who's most Donald Trump? But apparently, that's been a problem. Bobert has said she is not 100% in Trump's corner. She's held herself open to the possibility that she might support somebody else. That just goes to show, by the way, and these are extraordinary beefs, if you want to look at them honestly, but it just goes to show the lunatic fringe of the Republican Party is not a monolith. It also shows Green's shrewd backing of McCarthy which has gotten her a plum job on a plum committee. Even some prominent conservatives balked at putting Green on the House Homeland Security Committee. How to put this delicately? Are you kidding me? The reported feud between Green and Bobert ought to be very interesting to watch as the razor-thin House of Representatives, the Republican majority, which is, in fact, razor-thin, goes about its work. We still don't know where Matt Gates is on all this. Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley, and music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.